Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Good morning, church. My name is Caleb. Uh, it is a pleasure this morning to bring you the Word of God. Uh, let me just, there it is, there are my notes. We are in uh, continuing the series, an Advent call, Waiting Expectantly, and this is week three, and we are basically celebrating the, the coming of Christ, the first coming of Christ. And uh, I, I want to open by telling you just a, a brief little story. My, uh, my wife and, uh, at the time, two-year-old daughter, we used to uh, walk around our residence uh, in, in Renton, different place than where we're at now. And at two years old, this is the time where, where Chloe, our, our oldest daughter, had started to really observe the, her surroundings. And, and in particular, uh, so there was something uh, about things that were off or broken that immediately drew her attention. And so, for example, she would notice scratches on cars. <laughs> And every time we go by the same car, there's a scratch on the car. Someone must have had scratchy fingernails. But it's giving an idea. It just bothered her to see things that were out of sorts or, 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 or not right. One day, there was a, a bunch of uh, commotion in the middle of the night. Uh, it sounded like dozens of, of police and emergency vehicles. And we come to find out the next day that uh, a house had basically burned and it wasn't burned down, but it was uh, burned so bad that it was basically unlivable. And I think I have a, a picture here of, of it, cell phone picture. There it is. And uh, we found out that it was actually caused intentionally. Someone had taken, uh, at 2 a.m., a Molotov cocktail, threw it under the car, blew up the car, and then caused the house to catch on fire. There were two people in the house. Thankfully, they were sleeping, but they woke up and got out uh, and escaped and were fine. The, the next day, we go on our walk as normal, and as we're approaching this house, Chloe looks up, and all of a sudden, she has this furrowed brow, and she, her face turns really sad, and she says, the house is broken. The house is broken. Who will fix it? And it was just remarkable. I knew she would... Notice it, right? It's right there. It's a burnt down house. But just the sadness on her face and her immediate question, who's going to fix it? And, and that's all she could talk about for the whole day. And later that day, uh, we took a, a little video of Chloe. Um, and this is literally her sad face. We call this sad face Chloe video uh, of her expressing this sorrow at this broken house. Who will fix it? Every day. For the next month or so, we would pass that house, and she'd say, the house is broken. Who will fix it? Can I fix it? When will it be fixed? We don't have to get very far in life to start to see brokenness around us. Physical brokenness, relational brokenness, spiritual brokenness. Have you ever asked in the midst of a broken situation, how will this get fixed? When will this get fixed? Will it ever get fixed? 
Advent is about answering that question. This morning, I want to look at two examples of people that were waiting for that answer in the midst of brokenness. And my hope this morning is that we would experience with them some of the joy and happiness they felt when they caught a glimpse of God answering that question. So let me pray for us this morning, and then I want to read through our scripture. Father, I thank you for coming in the person of your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would fill this room and those online who are watching with your Holy Spirit, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a mind to understand what you are saying to us this morning. And Father, I pray specifically for those who feel they are in a broken season, Lord, that you would meet us where we're at. And Lord, that catching a glimpse of what you are doing to answer that question would fill us with hope and joy in your presence. I thank you and praise you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start by reading our passage for today. We're going to be in Luke Chapter 2, starting in verse 25, we're basically going to pick up from where Pastor Andrew left off last week. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom that the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, You may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband, seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. The first point that I want to bring up 
is that God speaks into our brokenness. God speaks into our brokenness. We meet Simeon, he says, uh, who was a righteous and devout man. He says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the comfort of Israel. Now, this wording is not random. It's, it's very much connected to the whole story. And specifically, it's connected to Isaiah. And there's many references in Isaiah, starting in chapter 40 and all the way through to the end, chapter 66, where there's this repeated idea of the comfort of Israel, the consolation of Israel that's coming. If we look at chapter 40 of Isaiah, verse 1 and 2, it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And so in Isaiah, chapter 40 is like a turning point. And, And so to understand the comfort and to understand the consolation, we have to understand the backdrop uh, or the reason why now God is saying, comfort, comfort, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And it's connected to this idea here in this passage. It says, her sin has been paid for. And so if you look at Isaiah, you have to look back. Okay, what is this idea? Why is God saying, comfort, comfort? Why do we need consolation in the first place? And so we can go back and we can see in chapter 1 of Isaiah, starting in verse 2, and, and really kind of throughout Isaiah up until chapter 40. Now, I'm warning you, this, God is, God's not going to pull any punches as we read this passage. Chapter 1 of Isaiah, verse 2. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth. For the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers. Children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. It doesn't get better from there. (laughs) If you read through it, it continues, just hard hitting. Prophets were generally either feared or hated, and maybe you can see why. But also, in the the same book in which God is saying all this truth about who we are, we get some of the richest 
prophecies concerning the Messiah and our Savior. And in verse or chapter 40 through chapter 66, these proclamations of God speaking comfort, speaking tenderly to us. You see, um, we need to understand the backdrop. The Bible is unequivocally clear. The problem of our brokenness that we experience in this world is us. It's not pandas. It's not elephants. It's not even crows. And who likes crows? One person. Two people. And that's what the scripture is saying. You look back at Isaiah, he says, um, the ox knows its master. The donkey, right, does what it's supposed to do. It's, it's not animals, it's the people that don't do what they're supposed to do. And we're not just partly bad, we're completely bad. In verse 6, from the top or from the sole of our feet to the top of our heads, there's no soundness. Like that's a, a very powerful visual of our unhealth. We are the source of our brokenness. Now thankfully, Isaiah doesn't end there. The Bible doesn't end there. But we have to understand the backdrop of the bad news to understand and see the greatness of the good news. It's into this context of self-induced brokenness that God speaks words of hope. Verse 30, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light a revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The picture is that God is saying, into this broken, dark world, I am sending my light to brighten your day, not just for Israel, but the world. Gentiles, everyone. This is um, good news for the world. In verse 38... Anna speaks about the redemption of Jerusalem. And so these are words that are spoken into this context. We have a God that, that says, acknowledges our brokenness, calls out our brokenness, but says, that's not where I'm going to leave you. I'm sending you a Savior. So God speaks into our brokenness. Not only does God speak into our brokenness, but God speaks into our brokenness to specific people. This is the second point. God speaks into our brokenness to specific people, and that's where we meet the two people I want to look at today. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. It had been revealed uh, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Second person we meet is Anna. 
There was a prophet, Anna. She was the daughter of Penuel, tribe of Asher. She was old. She lived with her husband seven years after marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. So we meet two people. And and this is important because God doesn't just speak via a social media feed, right? He, 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 He essentially directs messages to people, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. God speaks personally to regular people. And who are these people? Is it surprising that God chooses Simeon and Anna? Are they the current political leaders of their day? No. Are they men and women of great accomplishment and business success? No. Are they the cultural influences, influencers of their day? They're not. They're regular people. In fact, they're people probably that most people would say are in the margins of life. Last week, Pastor Andrew spoke about the shepherds. Right? These were people who had important jobs, but with zero prestige, Right? We, there's jobs around us like that, garbage collectors, whatever, other jobs. Important, very important, right? But not prestigious. God shows up to the shepherds. And in this passage, we look at Simeon. He's probably an old man at this point. He's been waiting a long time for the consolation of Israel. He prays, or God tells him, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you my Savior, before you die. Now, old people in our society, are they in the mainstream or the margins? The margins, mostly. We have a tendency to forget about old people. They're often there but not seen. Even people who were once famous, when they get old, they get forgotten. The other day, I saw a headline, Henry Kissinger passed away. And you want to know what my first thought was? He's still alive? (laughs) I'm just honest. Someone I read about in history books a long time ago, and, and there's a headline, he passed away. Wow, he was still living. People are often valued based on what they contribute to society, and once their contributions dwindle, their memory begins to fade. One of the things I appreciate about Sunset Church is that some of the older folks here are some of the most active, engaging people I've met. Though they're, they may be re- retired from work, they haven't retired from life and giving and serving, and I'm thankful for them. In addition, we meet Anna. Anna's also old, so that's one mark against her in terms of being on the margins. She's also a widow, and she's been a widow for a long time. She was married for seven years, and then it doesn't say what happened. Obviously, her husband died. We don't know if she had kids. But what we do know about her, it says that she, you could hardly keep her out of the temple, right? She was worshiping daily, praying, and fasting. But she was also, because she was widow, most likely needy. 
Right? They didn't have life insurance plans back then. Right? Her life insurance plan, if she had one, was her kids, if she had kids. But most likely, she had to rely upon the help of others around her to help for her needs on a daily basis. She's in the margin. But God doesn't forget about her. He sees her. He knows her. He dwells with her. And maybe some of you this morning have felt like you're not seen. You're not known. You're not important. And I want you to see and I want you to know that like the shepherds, like Simeon, like Anna, God sees you. God knows you, and you're important to God. So much so that he's willing to send you a direct message. Say, come, look, let me show you what I'm going to do. Let me show you the redemption I'm bringing for the world. Isn't that such a cool story that, like, God doesn't have to do that, but he says, you know, let me let, me let you in on something, Simeon. I'm, I'm going to give this gift to you. Anna, let me, come here, let me show you. I know, I know you're, you struggled over time, but I'm going to show you the child who has come into the world to bring healing and wholeness. Not only does God speak into our brokenness to specific people, but God himself enters into our brokenness. As a specific person to all peoples. We look at verse 27. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. I'll skip down. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him. He's holding Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He's holding Jesus in his hand. Picture that. Later we see with Anna, as she's coming to the temple every day, there's this next day, just like any other day, but now this child Jesus is there and she praises God and tells everyone about this child that she now sees, the redemption of Jerusalem. So here he is. That's the setting. It's God in the flesh. Like, Can you picture that? The people of Israel have been waiting over 700 years for this prophecy by this time. 700 years, generation after generation after generation, they longed and hoped for the day in which God would bring his comfort. God would bring his consolation. And that day has come. And they see the glimpse of what God is doing in the baby Jesus. Think of it like a really long pregnancy. You're waiting and waiting and waiting, and waiting some more. When will the day come? When the due date is passed, when is the baby going to come? All right, and inevitably the day comes. If you're a parent, right, that's a special day when that day comes. Before the baby's done anything of particular significance, um, 
It's noteworthy. The baby has arrived. And Jesus' mere arrival, his first coming, was a major fulfillment of God's promise of consolation, healing, salvation, and redemption. Not just for Israel, but the entire world. As I mentioned, it's, uh, he's a light of revelation to the Gentiles. That's all of us. You and I are here because... Um, people heard this news and went out and told it to others, and it spread throughout the world. Like, our, our very existence as Christians, by the way, is a testimony of God's ability to further his church and to make his news heard. It's, it's by itself like a self-reinforcing proof of God's power to accomplish what he wants. God, the person of Jesus, came to be with us in the trenches of life, to live with us. The king of the universe, three times holy, to go from throne to manger, to be born from and to the people, the same people that God said were corrupt and rotten from the soles of our feet to the tops of our heads. He comes to live and eat with us. Can you imagine that logic being applied to buying a house? All right, someone sees a house that stinks with mold everywhere, from the foundation to the top of the roof. There is no soundness in the house at all. It's rotting from the inside out, it looks on the verge of collapsing. In fact, it looks like someone had thrown a Molotov cocktail at it and burned out the front of the house. And that person says, it's perfect. I'll take it and I'll pay full price. We would say to that person, you need some investment advice, brother. <laughs> Let me tell you a few things. And yet... That's exactly what Jesus does. The answer to my daughter Chloe's question when she saw the broken house is that Jesus will fix it. Jesus fixes the broken house by buying the broken house, paying for it in full with his blood, and coming to live in the broken house so that it will be fixed forever. That's what Jesus does. And I praise him because of it. That the brokenness we experience in this world is not forever because Jesus has sent his son into it. And he says, I want that broken house. I want you broken people. You will be mine and I will comfort you. As we conclude, I want to offer a few words of exhortation and application. Number one, acknowledge the brokenness around you and in your life and bring it to Jesus. We don't need to pretend that we're not broken people or that our lives are not together. 
Jesus came for broken people. He says it's the, it's the uh, sick who need a physician, right? It's, it's, the, it's not the righteous. He hasn't come for the people who have it all together. Number two, place your hope in Jesus and not the immediate transformation of your circumstances. Now, this one is hard. Um, the shepherds, Simeon and Anna, all saw Jesus, but their immediate circumstances didn't necessarily have a seismic shift. Right? The, the shepherds, they saw Jesus, they praised God, and then they went back to work right? as shepherds. Praise God for that. Their circumstance didn't immediately change. Simeon saw Jesus, praised God, and he went to die. He's old. He's going to die. Anna, praised God, saw Jesus. She's still a widow in all of the struggles around that. We can get so caught up in our circumstance that we can't see the gift of God with us. And so I would encourage you to place hope in Jesus because he's with us and he knows us. And he says, I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you in brokenness forever. But that answer ultimately might look different in different circumstances. Third point. God's real and current presence is enough to see you through any and every dark season of life. But don't be afraid to pray to God to bring immediate healing. God sometimes does that. And so I don't want to discourage you to, oh, I'm just going to be in this circumstance forever. No, God sometimes does change things immediately. And so uh, one example, I thought this was cool as I was uh, reading and preparing this. I was reading back in Isaiah, and there's Hezekiah, right, king. He's told by God. God told Hezekiah, you're sick, guess what? You're going to die. It's terminal. Get your house in order, right? And Hezekiah could have just went, oh, woe is me. I guess I'm going to die. But what he did, he prayed. He prayed to God with bitter tears and asked God to remember him. And guess what happened? Isaiah got a vision from God. God heard that prayer, and then God gave the king 15 more years. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? Like, <laughs> he, he was going to die. God said he was going to die. Then he prayed, and then God said, okay, all right, I'll give you 15 more years. God can do that. Those are prayers we should pray. And, and God answers in all sorts of ways, and you see it all through Scripture. That's why it's important to read your Bible to see the, the, the plethora of ways in which God works. Sometimes God says no, but it's for our good. Like, thank God that God answered Jesus' prayer to uh, save me from this moment, if there be any other way, God said, no, there was no other way. Thank God for that. But there's other times I think God is wanting to say yes. We just need to ask him. And so I want to encourage us to do pray. If you're in circumstances that you don't like, there's brokenness around you that needs to be fixed, ask God to pray. He will be there with you. And sometimes he'll open up doors and change things in ways that you could not imagine. Regardless of what God has for you, what God has for us, we can be sure of this. Jesus has come. The person who will ultimately fix everything that is broken and make straight all that has been made crooked 
has come. He is alive and well and sitting at the right hand of the Father, and Jesus will come again to set all things right and make all things new. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for us, that Jesus rose in victory over sin and death to give us hope of everlasting life with you. And Lord, especially we think upon your son Jesus come. You didn't have to come. You chose to come. And you lived with us. You dwelt with us. You ate with us. You healed us. You taught us. We who walked away from you. We who thought we could live life on our own terms. We who thought we knew what was best for us. Lord, you continue to pursue us. And Lord, in your Son, we have comfort. In your Son, we have consolation. In your Son, we have redemption. In your Son, we have salvation. In your Son, we have freedom. In your Son, we have hope. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fill our hearts with hope this morning in your Son, Jesus. Help us to experience some of the joy, happiness that Simeon and Anna and the shepherds expressed and felt when they saw Jesus. By your power, will you be enough in our hearts? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.